it was inevitable, that doesn't make it any less painful. Your Toronto FC have been eliminated from the 2021 MLS Cup playoffs. Well, we'll talk a bit about how they got here, what comes next for the club, and plenty, plenty more on this week's edition of Waking the Red Weekly, presented by Footy Talks. We can think of no better guest to help us do that than James Grossi of TorontoFC.ca. He'll join us in 15 minutes or less for pretty extended talk about the team and the season, but certainly wasn't all doom and gloom. I want to mention that before we uh, get too down this week, we witnessed a pretty monumental moment at BMO Field for the Canadian men's national team and the Canadian women's national team will open up their celebration tour this week as well. So there's plenty to celebrate on that end, but first no Michael Singh this week. Hopefully, uh, we can all get together again at some point soon. It's been a couple of weeks of, of absences, but uh, Jeffrey <laughs> Pinasker's back. So uh, how you doing, Jeff? It's been a while. Yeah, happy to be back. I had to miss last week uh, for 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 cat issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. Other people have pets and they go to the vet and they and they spend a lot of money and they have a they have a causality for it. You know, like you know, Rex ate this thing or 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 Molly got into that thing. My cat has like emotional nervous breakdowns and then he's just mm-hmm. better. But we don't know what was wrong with him in the first place. So this is turning into a wonderful tread. Uh, but yeah, my cat had a very expensive existential crisis last weekend. And it caused me to not not be able to attend. So I apologize to all. But I'm back uh, to discuss uh, what, what what the hell's going on with, with, uh, our, with one set of reds. And to celebrate what's going on with two other sets of reds. So... Yeah. Well, Toronto FC had a pretty ex- ex- expensive existential crisis of their own this season, I think. So yeah, we, can yeah. definitely, <laughs> we can definitely get into that a lot over the next uh, over the next Segway. Yeah. Nice, nice. You're all you're always thinking Segway. I love it. 100%. <laughs> Jeff's talking about his poor cat, and I'm just like, all right, how do I transition? How do I spin this into, into soccer stuff? Um, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So yeah, we're eliminated from the playoffs. You wanna you wanna start there? Uh, I didn't see the game actually. I was uh, I was in a bad internet zone, so I wa- I only watched uh, the highlights. And from what I saw, it looked like it was a, a real humdinger. Yeah, I mean, I saw minimal amounts of the game as well, which I think you know I don't think it's necessary to really get into the nuts and bolts of of games at this point in the season when we all knew this was coming for I don't know. It seems like months now. We we basically knew the season was over and and diagnosed it as such um and you know we've just been waiting for for that final confirmation which we again knew was coming sooner rather than later and and yeah like like we said it's not it's not a shock to anyone but um yeah i mean it's certainly certainly not where we thought we would end up this season it's certainly not where the club hoped they'd end up this season and yeah, again, even after the tough start, and I know there were a lot of a lot, a lot of warning bells with the way Toronto FC started the season and, and got rid of Chris Armis. Like yeah, I think we dragged it out for so long because one, we've seen this club turn seasons around. I mean, 2019's a, an mm-hmm. example of where they started out quite poorly with the, the Independiente uh, debacle and then were very Oof. quickly able to to turn that around and, and make some signings that, that, you know, got them back and obviously to an MLS cup final. Yeah. Um, two, you know, they very similar roster to the year before. And, and obviously that team was a supporter shield group, but yeah, I mean, it, it very quickly became clear that, nope, there's, there's no turnaround in sight. And uh, we head into this off season with a ton of major questions. Yeah, yeah, we sure do. I mean, I doubt either of us know this, but James might offhand. Um, did we find out 
that we aren't qualified for the playoffs at around the same point in the season as 2018 or later. It feels like later. I mean, what are there? Four games left in the season, five, three games left in the season. It definitely feels like uh, we were in it in 2018 a bit, a bit longer. There was a bit more pain uh, uh, at the end of 2018. I mean, and then there's also recency bias, right? Like we having been through 2018, this was a lot easier to take because, uh, you know, there's that, that sort of, it's not too far in our collective memory that, that like that, that whimper of a season that, that occurred. Um, speaking of whimpers of, of title defending seasons, yay Columbus, uh, you know, <laughs> they're having just, they're having the same kind of luck as we did, uh, uh, post MLS cup win. And uh, uh, it can't it can't be a rosy environs for the uh, for the Columbus Crew fans. Um, they did win four nothing this weekend though, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they're still not going to make the playoffs, and if no, they do, fair. it'll be a, <laughs> yeah, it'll be yeah, a, 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 a yeah. turnaround. I didn't realize of, how of... far below that red line they got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were we were doing our you were you were telling me about uh, our parlay picks that we'll do later, and and we were discussing. Mm-hmm. Inter Miami, and I, you know, at this point, I'm I'm predisposed for Toronto to lose every game for the rest of the season. But Inter Miami, oh my God, what's yeah. going on with that club? Oh my goodness gracious, uh, they bad, they they super duper bad. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So so, I mean that that raises an interesting question, Mitch. Like, you know, New England are going to run away with the points record. And there'll be an asterisk on it because it's a deserved asterisk. Um, Why? Because this season's wacky, wacky styles, right? It, it's not a COVID season, but it's a half COVID season. Um, know. You know, I, it's I not. Yeah. Sorry, you continue know, with your point. I don't know if I agree on the asterisk, though. Oh, I absolutely think an asterisk. There are still teams that, you know, for the sake of, uh, you know, Toronto still had to play a decent chunk of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. with their with their home ground being an away ground, they're in our conference. Um, there's an asterisk on there. There has to be. I mean, most MLS seasons would have an asterisk because they keep changing the damn rules. But this one has a bit of a of a COVID asterisk. That, like, not to take away from the excitement that that New England are, are certainly going to uh, uh, have, and and you know, good for them. But I, I'm throwing an asterisk on there. So so to me. You know, it, it's a bit of a mulligan, maybe not for, for TFC, because we maybe should have known better having come off the back of a, of a season where we were sort of a, a, a club without a home. But, uh, you know, Columbus, I think Columbus fans can take a bit of comfort in, in the, the New England asterisks that I've decided to, to put on their, on their accolades for the year, because that's the way I roll. Um, you know... I'll throw this question to you, Mitch. Does that mm-hmm. give TFC a bit of a mulligan or not at all? No, I mean, it's certainly more of a mulligan than 2018. Um, although, again, like similar, like the 2018 obviously had the start of the season and all the injuries that came from that CONCACAF Champions League run. So missing the playoffs was, was different there. But mm-hmm. I think this year, you know, uh, I don't think there's a big asterisk on it. We know. Well, one because the club came out right from the start of the season and said we don't want we don't want you to put an asterisk on anything like we that's not our internal feeling that's not um, you know that's not what we want uh, remembered for the season. So I 
yeah, I, I don't think there's a big asterisk on it. I think I think obviously it had an impact. There's no question about that. But mm -hmm. I, yeah, again, <laughs> they made. I mean, talk is talk is cheap. You know, I I'd really like to love goat cheese more, but I can say it. I can scream it from the mountaintops, but that won't necessarily make it true. You know, so I think the fact that TFC uh, were were trying to get in front of that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Mulligan asterisk garbage at the outset of the season. Like, listen, we we don't want this to be an issue. Was kind of them saying it's going to be an issue in, in, in a roundabout way. So I don't know. I don't know. I again, I'd be curious what what our what our man uh, Grossi has to say about that because you know I was I was very very much on the side of of just handing out Mulligans and get out of jail free cards at the at the outset of the season even. Even when when Armis was 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 you know the the Armis TFC was was falling apart, um, and I'm still I, I think I'm still there's still some mulligans to give out here, uh, and it's not just me being a homer because obviously I'm taking away accolades from from uh, Bruce Arena's squad, so <laughs> I'm an equal opportunity asterisk uh, uh, thrower because um, it has been a wild and wacky season. Um, you know I I don't know if. I wouldn't even know where to start doing the research, but I think the amount of injuries across the league are probably up uh, on a team by team basis, soft tissue injuries, training injuries, stuff like that. Condensed schedule, you know, you've got the Campiones cup, you've got whatever the league's cup was. Uh, I I'm really not sure what the U S open did this year in terms of uh, uh, adjusting, but you know, for the Canadian team, certainly we, I mean, we haven't even played the 2020 final yet. So, so it's a big old mess. Um, there's a lot of inertia left over from 2020 that we're sort of dealing with now. Uh, you know, let's not, let's not dilly dally. We got the man with the hat and all the answers, uh, ready to log in. So <laughs> I am gonna, I'm gonna bring him on board and, and there's wow. the man. What are we, just, we were just yeah, morning, James. No pressure there. All the answers after <laughs> <laughs> this season. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, now yeah. Done by James Grossi is his official name in front of c.ca uh yeah thanks thanks so much for joining us of course james oh uh, it's my pleasure boys i'm looking forward to providing some of the answers i, I won't say that i have the answers but i am going theory, to take points i'm taking i'm taking points for every non-answer james because you're supposed to <laughs> have fair. them all <laughs> and we'll give you your score <laughs> later <laughs> Cool. Yeah, well, let's let's get into, I guess, the, the big let's topic tear into off, it. off here. Yeah, Toronto FC, of course, eliminated from the playoffs this past weekend. I know we've, we've already tried to parse through a couple of different things in the first 10 minutes and gotten, you know, not really anywhere, but... Tread in water. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What, for you, uh, was maybe the biggest factor in the team not reaching the postseason this year? Yeah, well... You know, there's never there's never just one thing. So so when I when I think about this, like all of all of the myriad factors sort of run through the mind. You know, you have you have having to start the season in Florida and all the complications that came with that. And you know, you you sort of wondered heading into this year how the team would would build on what they did last year. I think you know, looking back now with the knowledge that we have from from this season, what they achieved in terms of being in the Supporters Shield race and you know, falling at the first hurdle in the playoffs, but really showing themselves well with, with all the difficulties that last year had. You wondered how they were going to be able to do that again. And I think I think we all sort of underestimated how difficult it was going to be to have to do it again. You know, when I when I look back, I think that 
I think that they sort of survived last year by just just sort of taking it one game at a time and not worrying about the outside world. And I think that's how a lot of us dealt with last year was just like, all right, what's the next thing that I have to do? And so when it came time to try and do that again, the reserves just weren't there. So so mm-hmm. I start with that Florida thing, and then you Fair build point. into that. You build into that the fact that you know Greg Venny leaves, and and he was such a key figure in this in all the success that we've seen this team have over the last half decade or whatever it was and it was always going to be difficult to replace him when that time came and for it to happen in the circumstances that it did was a double whammy you know and then you take Armis and you know my thoughts on Armis have sort of uh sort of evolved with time and and uh this is something we can talk about a little bit later but I kind of felt like the team that we saw really put Cincinnati and Chicago to the sword was was a bit what Armis was trying to do with this mm. club. We, wow. We can talk about that a little bit later if you like. Um, I do. <laughs> but but that that sort of that sort of came at a at a difficult time for the club. And you're trying to juggle being in Florida. You're you're juggling a transition to a new coach. You're juggling implementing some extra ideas. And then on top of that, you know, you lose Alejandro Pozuelo early in the year. You know, you lose Josie Altador through injury and through you know off-field complications and everything like that and you know when you look back at the lineups this team has put out there hasn't been one drop of consistency throughout the whole not even one yep and so you know you bring in guys like Sateldo and you bring in Dwyer and you bring in Lawrence and, and you're asking these guys to step into a team that that thinks it should be in one place and finds itself in a very different one and it's always so it's always so complicated to adjust to new surroundings let alone ones where it's struggling but you know, you, you asked for the biggest factor, and, and I think the biggest factor is that at no point in this whole year were they able to establish a foundation. They weren't able to to get that bit of solid footing that, that everyone needs, every team needs, whether it's in mm-hmm. soccer or in life, that this is the platform from which we are going to build our identity and we're going to build some momentum and we're going to build some consistency, and, and they haven't been able to do that uh, the funny thing is, is that that's that's very much been what Javi has been trying to do, and he's had some success, you know, to varying degrees, and there have been ups and downs. But it's uh, one of the things that I was thinking as the team went into the October break was that it didn't feel like a team entering, you know, month seven or month eight of the season. It felt like a team entering month three of the season. And, yep. And, and it was an incongruity that struck me as as hilarious but also poignant in the sense that, you know, this team is very much hit rock bottom with, uh, with yeah. a defeat in that I don't think, uh, we're going to be, de- we'll, we'll dust it off in a couple of years and look back at it and remember it as a, as a time when things went awry. But, um, for me, this is a team that's, that's picked itself back up and is still trying to figure itself out with, with the time that they have remaining here. Yeah, I, I would interject that there's just been so many false dawns, right? Like moving back to BMO was supposed to be the the epochal moment where it all made sense. And then we pulled like the most frustrating 1-1 draws for endlessly. Do you know what I mean? There were just, there were so many false dawns. And, and, and like you said, there was, there was, there was absolutely no consistency. I think that that's a very, very fair assessment. Uh, to go a bit macro. Um, you know, when you bring up 2019 and the signings that hit, right, you know, pause was a coup, not just in terms of the wheeling and dealing, like how well it made the front office look with respect to how they were able to get the deal over the line. But he was so he was an instant 
he had an instant effect on the pitch. And the same goes for Omar Gonzalez, right? Uh, you know, let's talk about their equivalents in the 2021 squad. Jefferson Soteldo and Kamar Lawrence. Very different report card for those two signings, right? Um, do you think that that's? Ooh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, ma- I'm gonna, I'm gonna go full macro here. Like, like, let's compare and contrast. You know, is that are they a symptom of the environment or is it bad recruitment? I I put it down in more of the symptom of of the of the environment that they find themselves in. Like, let's go back to that 2019, and you have a guy like Paz who's at the top of his game, coming in in, in good form from Europe. And you have a guy like Omar coming in from Mexico who's coming into a, a familiar environment in a lot of ways. You know, he's playing with Josie, he's playing with Michael, he's playing in a league that he knows well. And so you get you get two guys that are at a certain point in their career where they're they're ready to embrace the new challenge and, and they come into a stable team. You know, mm-hmm. and if you contrast that with Soteldo, who's you know, who's very young in terms of the game still and still has a lot of growing to do. And this is a, this is a stepping stone for him as, as far as, you know, we can sort of tell. And you come into a team that is just, you know, shambles. A shambles yeah. 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 It was, uh, it was, I can think of several words, but I'm not going to use any. It was, it was <laughs> not, not the best environment for, for a guy like that to come into, especially a guy that plays the way that he plays where, I'm I'm getting the sense that he's not the kind of guy that'll do it himself. A lot of people made that Seba comparison and the fact mm-hmm. that oh he's all he's gonna take the team on his back, he's gonna pick the ball up at midfield and dash through twenty people and, and score with a back heel, you know? Yeah. Um and for a guy who's who's a connective piece the way that Soteldo looks to be, you can't come into a team and succeed when you don't have any runners. You know, one of the things that struck me a lot about him is that he's so frustrating to watch because he'll he'll beat a player, and it seems like instead of trying to take advantage of that and to use that to do something, he'd rather beat the player again. Yeah, you know, it, it almost seems like it's a it's a chronic issue of of he likes beating the guys. He doesn't really care what happens after that. And yeah, there might be an element of that, but I think a lot of it has to do with he hasn't really had the support around him and he hasn't really had the pieces around him to, to make the most of that. You know, too often he's been isolated. Like how many times have we seen him do that where it's him and three defenders and no right. other TFC players within half a pitch, you know? And so, you know, I I still think with Soteldo, like when you when you add a guy like that, you're not adding him for the short term, you're adding him for the long term. And I think okay. that was what we saw with Pozuelo as well, where, yeah, he hit the ground running, but that's sort of what you would expect from a guy who's been the best player in a league in Europe for a couple of years and had his ups and downs as a professional. Sure, sure. For a young guy who's still figuring it out, like a lot of this stuff, it, it hits differently and they react differently. Yeah. You're gonna see. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard a lot from people, uh, you know, because I've been pretty vocal of my of my uh, disapproval of 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 Yaf. <laughs> You know, uh, trying to correct me with respect <laughs> that to knowing not. <laughs> well, trying to correct me by saying, you know, he's coming from the Brazilian league, and the Brazilian league is a very showy league, the Brazilian domestic league. It rewards that kind of individual brilliance. You know, they they tend to recruit players that it, it's like the Harlem Globetrotter kind of player. You know, like the Flash and 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 etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I will say this though, you know, pause was billed to us. There were two things we were worried about when pause came one that he'd be exhausted because he was coming off a full season and two, that he wouldn't be a goal scorer, that he'd be a pure number 10 and his debut. He's chipping people like they're going out of style, right? It's an unfair comparison 
Uh, but you know, I, I wanted to make it all the same. Now let's go to Kamar Lawrence, right? Because there's a very similar, they're both on redemption tours, right? Kamar went to, to Belgium. It didn't quite work out. Uh, and, and Omar went to Mexico and it didn't quite work out for him there either. But the difference is staggering, right? Like is, is Kamar's sort of mishit. And I, I'm, I'm remiss to call it a mishit because playing him at center back has been like a Gregory Vanderweel kind of situation where like, maybe he's better in that position than what we hired him for. But, but uh, just as long as he doesn't get into fisticuffs with Javi, we're, we're good to go. No, no handbags. Uh, uh, but, but, you know, is, is this disconnect with Kamar because he was brought in by, by Armas and then the center fell out from underneath him or, or is it, is it just because he's a very different kind of player than Omar? Um, that's a, it's a tough one because we never really get inside a guy's head, you know? Yeah. And so he comes here, he comes here and, and I remember the first day we talked to him and, and he was talking about how this was the, if he was going to come back to MLS, this was the situation he wanted to be in because it was a team that was going to be competing for championships. It was a team that, you know, played with a certain amount of swagger. And I think he thought that that fit him well, and it was going to be a place where he could, he could lift trophies and he could enjoy his football. And, you know, we got a pretty rude awakening pretty quickly upon getting here. And then all of a sudden the guy that brought you in, who you thought you were going to, you know, go to battle with Mm -hmm. is out the door and you're sort of wondering what you've gotten yourself into. And, right. You know, you add in, you add in the whole, he's moving to Canada, the family's in, I think I believe his family was based in New York, all, all those sort of complications getting into a new city, the team's playing, like the same stuff we talked about for the team yeah. as a whole. I, in a lot of ways, I almost feel like it's a little bit, not unfair because it's, it's the nature of the gig to sort of critique yeah. these guys and see what's going of course. on, but we're, we're lacking so much information on, on how things might be in a normal time. And so... You know, I, I, like you, had a lot of questions about Kamar in terms of what we saw from him the first little while. He seemed distracted. He seemed like his mind was elsewhere. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was one match where where before the game, he was talking about how how the team was going to be different and they'd sorted all the problems out and then they go out and concede two goals in the first five minutes. And <laughs> yeah, I remember that game. talking about that? Like, yeah, um, yeah, but reminding me of that Terrence, uh, that Terrence Boyd press conference where he's like, "Everyone's gonna love me. I'm an animal." And then, yeah. uh, no, 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 it didn't yeah. happen that way. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes things go awry, and sometimes there's no way back, and and sometimes things go awry, and there's there's a way to redemption for guys. And I think, like you said, the, what we've seen from Kamara recently in in terms of playing that center back role, but also just. Even even at the fullback spot, he's been a real tenacious defender, and he's been yeah. one of the team's best players for the last couple of months. And you know, you're losing a guy like Justin Morrow, who was a leader both on and off the field, and you need somebody to really step into that role. And you know, Kamara's got he's got that swagger, and he's got the defensive bite, and he's got the ability to go forward and do things. So I, I'm not ready to to write him off as being a mistake yet. I think it's just one of those things where. This year did not go to plan for a lot of people. Man. For I mean, for the universe, like the universe. Yeah, respect that's it, fair. You know, yeah. Uh, the... It's I. I love it that you that you call for empathy, right? Because I'm so quick at this point, and this might be just my frustration talking. I I, I want to call for empathy, but I'm also like, how much uh, rope are we giving professional athletes? Right? Like when we start getting into like talking about feelings, I think we lose. We lose the plot a little bit where it's like these guys are being paid handsomely. Sure. Life sucks right now. Do you know what I mean? Like for everyone. But but also 
the pen, you know, time pauses for no one. Right. And if, you know, at a certain point it's put up or shut up time. Right. So I do, I love the calls for empathy because I feel like we lose too much of that perspective. Sometimes when we get on our, on our soapbox and start ranting about performance and mental state and all that other thing. But I also, I, I have to keep pulling it back to, you know, are, are we here because we're in a support group? Or are we here to compete for trophies? Right. And, and we can't, we can't get soft. We can't get that soft. Right. Like, that, like that yeah, has to be item number one, you know? It, and it's very fair, but at the same time, when a team succeeds, we want to get into that mindset and see mm -hmm. what it was about that, that allowed them to succeed. Sure. And so the flip side of that point is when a team struggles, there is a mental side of that as well. Absolutely. You're so smart. You You're such a smart guy. My goodness. <laughs> Did I get a point for that one? Oh, you got many yeah, points. Yeah, we're doing, we're doing the Clive, the Clive yeah. Anderson point system. So I give you like a thousand here and I take away. It's totally arbitrary, yeah. but the, the, yeah, this yeah. like symptom of environment is such an interesting one as well here because I've been thinking about that a lot this week in the performances recently, of particularly Richie Larea, but also Jonathan Osorio with how they've mm. been playing for the Canadian men's national team and how much belief they play with and how much, you know, like again, Richie Larea looks like two different players. Not that he's been particularly bad for Toronto FC this season, but certainly I, I think if you talk to him, he wouldn't be as impressed with how he's played for TFC. And you keep expecting him to come back from Canada camp and just be able to hit those same strides, but he's never quite the same which obviously makes this offseason interesting because yep you have to think of that factor when you're considering the players on your roster and you know which guys are, are actually not up to standards and which guys are you know maybe having an offseason because everything around them is just not clicking yeah no exactly richie and and john are 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 two of the the like they've both been solid for toronto so the other ones look bad but the way that they take to the field the 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 attitude change is just so different. And, you know, to make it, to make it very explicit, the way that the team reacts when Canada concedes the goal versus the way that TFC reacts when they concede a goal is just night yeah. and day. Yep. And, yep. and so much of that, so much of that is, is the confidence stuff. And it's the, it's the looks that you give each other in the locker room and it's the feeling mm. on the bus ride to the stadium or whatever it may be. And yeah, you know, as, we talk about momentum going in a good way when things are good it, it goes the other way when things are bad and, and it, it does make this offseason really hard because how much how do you how much do you allow how much wiggle room do you allow for the fact that so many people have been dealing with so many things that maybe it's not been the best representation of themselves and how many people do you just have to sort of say well that may have been a factor but we're going to go in a different direction and it's it's going to yeah. be one of the more fascinating elements one of the more fascinating turnovers that we've seen in tfc history because i think we all knew that this was a team that was that was in need of, of remaking itself and i think the pozuelo edition was sort of the be beginning of that bringing in the next guy who's going to be the talisman for the team yeah and then I, I think with the pandemic it it really sort of took a pause and and we we you couldn't really bring guys in because of how messed up everything was in a lot of ways and you know, I know how you feel did. about this. And yet we yes. did. Couldn't really bring a guy in, but here he is. <laughs> sometimes sometimes you got to strike when the iron is hot. And, you know, when they sell him to, to Manchester United for $40 million, <laughs> you're love this deal and you will have always been all Yeah, right. yeah, I'll eat, I'll eat all the crow. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's, there's two things I wanted to mention. Uh, Wheels was on uh, the One Soccer Today show talking about 
the changeover. And his suggestion was to was to roll this team again, which I think is insane. Um, and and it, it, you you just brought that up. Like I I hope that that isn't. I hope that they land on the brutal side more than they land on the mulligan side. With respect to what you were saying previously, like we realize that this was a tough year for you. We have a standard here. You didn't meet. You didn't meet it. Uh, you know, we wish you all the best. And I I, I don't want to. I'm not naming names. Um, but but getting back to what you wanted to come back to, what would you grade Armus if you had to give him a report card? Because you said that interesting thing where you said some of our wins long after the fact were kind of Armus ball. And then what what would you give what would you give Javi? What 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 grade would you give Javi? I'm not exactly sure what the grading scale is here, but okay. like I, I think for Armus, like it, it clearly has to be an F. Okay. Or D or whatever it is, whatever your lowest grade possible is, because okay. the job the job was to come in and keep a team that had been in the, at the top there or thereabouts, you know, and and that clearly didn't happen, you know. Right. And I think he, I think he himself would tell you that, that you know there were so many times post match where where he put the losses on himself and he said that he wasn't good enough or he needed to find solutions and stuff like that, and and clearly that didn't happen in his time here. And so, you know, I, I'm loath to, to fail somebody on something like mm-hmm. that, but I think if you put it in that really stark terms of you came in with this one mission of keeping this team that had been a supporter shield challenger up there and then you didn't. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, uh, you know, yeah. what, yeah. what I've been, what I've been thinking about and what I sort of alluded with and I've been wrestling was like, I think, I think we sort of got when he started to use the term pressing, you know, giving the way that that term has been used in, in soccer media the last five years or whatever. It's yeah. Been, our tails all got wagging. Our tails got wagging, but we also misunderstood what he meant in a certain way. Like TFC was never going to be, you know, a bunch of 20 year old Red Bull products that were running around the field and closing everything down. But, <laughs> you know, you didn't have the bodies, you didn't have the legs, but mm-hmm. but the general idea of sort of playing more quickly and looking to create turnovers in dangerous spots and playing more vertically can be it can be done in a lot of ways. You know, it doesn't have to be that that high octane ninety minute madness sort of thing. And so when I reference the Cincinnati and Chicago thing, like I think Soteldo and Schaffelberg and Achara forcing turnovers in the opponent's end with a little bit of pressure, turning that into it. Like I think that was what Armis was talking about and so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know it's a little bit of revisionist history and, and I'm open to that I just think that sometimes we latch on to little things and make too much of them without sort of getting behind what exactly that means and then when it all falls apart and we can't talk to people anymore and yeah you know, the team sort of, sort of shuts down those lines of conversation then we're uh we're sort of left hey man he, re- remember that. when he said we had two number one keepers and he was like he was burnt at the stake for that comment for a good six months when when Westberg wasn't getting any minutes. People on WTR were like, but he said, but he said, we have two goalkeepers. What? You know, he said it in passing. Um, yeah. yeah, I would give, I mean, on, on that binary scale, I'd give him an F as well. Uh, Mitch, you too? That, But yeah. that being said, the caveat here is he was hired under the weirdest circumstances, right? Like, you know, like the, as he was introduced, it was like, well, we don't want to mess with continuity, but here comes this guy that's going to reinvent the wheel. Remember Michael Bradley, you know, we know he's old, but he's going to be super striker now. Like, and it just, it made no sense. 
Um, so, so uh, there is a certain accountability there. And, and, you know, I, 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 I said it really eloquently the last time I was on the show, but I'll, I'll try again. I don't think Vieira was ever coming. I don't think Laurent Blanc was ever coming. I think they had designs on these guys, but once it got past the initial, you know, here's my business card, here's yours. They're like, wait a second, we're going to be where for how many months? And, and, and they're like, no, no, forget about it. And, and so Armist was the guy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you can't go, you were in Disney world, but you can't, you can look at it. You can look at space mountain, but you can't go there. Uh, And, uh, and I think, you know, Armas was was all that was left, right? Like like Ali's Rolodex was was paper thin at that point, and and it was a uh, yeah. I wouldn't say no. all that was left. I think it might have been the best candidate. You know what I mean? Okay. Like you can always find you can always find somebody, and and given the circumstances of a team that that doesn't really need a whole lot of this is going to sound you're more derogatory. No, you're I mean you're fair. Jason Bent was sent was he yeah. was right there. Like yeah. yeah. This yeah. was a team that I don't think they needed a lot of coaching. You just sort of needed you needed somebody to go out there and motivate them and, and light a fire under them after what had been an exhausting ten months. And and I think I can see how how you take a guy like Chris who was you know ebullient with his energy, um, was sort of effervescent in the way that he spoke about things and was moving in a thousand different directions and was never going to let people rest comfortably with with the disappointments and. I think in a way they set themselves up for failure with that sort of mm-hmm. no excuse things because, you know, half the time excuses are reasons like that's sort of yeah. how things work. Yeah. The reasons yeah. sound like excuses, but they're reasons, you know? Absolutely. So shutting, shutting that down sort of relieve, removes an outlet from yourself that you might've had to, <clears throat> to further examine things or to further explain things or to, to, you know, speak more frankly about things. And I think that was a bit of a loss for the team. Yeah. Around, but, you know, I think uh, I was, I've been listening to you guys the last couple of weeks and somebody made reference to, uh, you know, the Thierry Henry departure and, and that sort of being a mm-hmm. warning sign that, that, and, and Greg Vanny himself saying that this wasn't something that he thought he could do for another year. I think, I think when the story of this season gets told in the next 10 years, we're going to talk about how, how almost Awful ridiculous it was, it was yeah. to, expect, to expect a professional sports team to compete with their peers given the yeah. disadvantages they have. You know, and we can look Absolutely. at Montreal, look at Vancouver. They're both on the cusp of the playoffs, but I think they're very different teams. They're much younger teams. Yeah. They're teams with a less of an identity than TFC has and, and a, a bit – a bit lower standards and and sometimes you know when things when things slip it's it's really hard to pick that back up whereas if you're building something you can sort of take things on a little more readily if you know what i mean that's like yeah. four or five thousand points right there uh let's move let's move to uh to javi's report card uh what would you give him b i i think i think yeah b is what i have down in my notes and it's just because cool. I think he's done a lot of good things, but again, like the job was to somehow salvage, salvage the season. And this is, this is another one of those points where, you know, defining terms, like what does salvage mean when you find yourself 15 games into the season and have you know single digit points, like does yeah. salvage mean getting to the playoffs, which is a, what I think a lot of us interpreted it to mean, or does salvage mean at least make sure that this doesn't carry on into next year. And I think, you know, it's clearly that it's clear that they're not going to be making the playoffs this season, but I think that they're putting themselves in a good position to to build towards next season, having cleared out some of the cobwebs that this one left behind. And so, absolutely. B. Yeah, B. So, uh, Yvonne asked you, 
do you feel comfortable with Javi getting the TFC full-time coaching job next year? I do. Um, in the sense that I'm always such a bad judge of this because the, the, I sort of like a coach that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, um, no explains themselves, that explains themselves well. And, and that I think has a good way of approaching the game and that I think is really thinking things through and, and making decisions, not for reasons of pride, but, but for reasons because he thinks it's the right thing to do. And, and I have a lot of sympathy with, for Javi with that. I thought, you know, we all made a big deal about Michael Bradley being taken off the pitch or Michael Bradley not in the starting lineup. And Javi's explanation was just sort of dumbfounded that that was even a question because it was the right decision for the team. And, and it was, right, he gave right. us the same explanation when, when we asked about Jaquiel coming off after having been subbed on, he was just sort of like, no, it's not a big deal. That's what the team needed at the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I see, I see a lot of utility in that. I see a lot of, of value in a coach who espouses some of the some of the the ethos is I don't know how to pluralize that actually. And the principle that, I, I think it's uh, a singular. Yeah. I mean, you lost it's a thousand points there. I'm just letting yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, somebody who who has the sort of principles I, I like that. So so I like a lot of what Javi has brought to this group. But at the same time, you know, he was as much a part of the team not being there in the first half of the season as he was of it being there in the second half of the season. If you know mm. what I mean, like. Yeah, he was in that. He was in that group when those decisions were being made. He was there as all of this was happening. So yeah, it comes down. It comes down a lot to where this team thinks it is. I, I think if if we're seeing if this is going to be like a a dressing room clean out situation and a start from scratch, which I don't think it ever is going to be. But yeah, if yeah. that if that is the general sentiment within the group, then then you probably want to establish somebody who who is going to have a strong vision for what's going to come forward. Whereas if if you are more looking to keep things ticking over, if you are more looking to how you want the academy to play and TOC2 to play and how that feeds into the first team, I I think you could make a lot worse decisions than having Javi stay in place. So I'm definitely comfortable with it. it. It's another one of those things where is it Laurent Blanc or Patrick Vieira? No. You know, does that necessarily mean that it's bad? No. Like, it, it's it's one of those things that, like, we can speculate it going forward and we can talk about it afterwards. But uh, until it happens, it's all sort of, it's all sort yeah. of just chatter. Mm-hmm. I'm right there with you, man. I, I absolutely have no problem with Javi uh, keeping the keys to the car with uh, with more responsibility next year. I mean, we've been talking about what happened when we changed, when we changed horses in the off season at the beginning of this season. So I don't know why we're so, why we're, why we're so heaven set on doing it all over again. Um, he's Didn't won the respect of the locker room, you know? And I think that that can't be, I think that that can't be understated. Um, this mm-hmm. locker room was probably really messy. Nature abhors a vacuum. Um, there's, they've reached some kind of equanimity that or some, some kind of standard now. Um, you lost them. Yeah, I know. I know. I also think uh, I also I, I think it does ride on on our performance in the in the Can Champ and the Voyagers Cup. I do think that that oh, yeah. has that has some huge ramifications as to whether uh, he can sign a lease in his apartment for next year or whether or not he should be he should be looking elsewhere. Sorry to interrupt, uh, Mitch. Yeah, what do you there, got going? There goes the garage door. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> but uh, on top of that, what I have, um, yeah, no, I guess I guess kind of picking up on that and and 
you know, now that they are eliminated from the playoffs, we mentioned the Canadian championship is the big thing right now. Obviously should be the big focus for this club. They, you know, obviously not much else before, but you still have those remaining games. What's the focus there? Are you trying to get, you know, Pozuelo, Altador back in the setup and, and see how they can work together with Soteldo, stuff like that? Or we already, I mean, we know Jaquil Marshall Rudy is, is going to start against Miami. Um, do you see what you have in some of these young guys as well? I mean, you have, again, you have whatever, however many minutes to, to evaluate here, you know, you can't waste those minutes, uh, even if, you know, it, it, they on paper seem pointless. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a little bit surprised when Javi told us that Jaquil was going to get the start. I was just asking him about, about the substitution and if he had to have a little conversation with him afterwards, just to explain mm-hmm. it. He's like, Oh. He's a he's a very matter of fact sort of guy, Javi, and so it was uh, it was interesting. And you know this this has been sort of like uh, going back a couple months now. It's been it's been something that's been ruminating in everyone's mind. Was like how is TFC going to sort of approach this time? Is it better to just scrap everything and throw guys out there? And you know all those conversations have been had. Uh, I was tempted to dust off the old blog and and write something about this, but. You know, then then all the yelling for the to play the kids has sort of died down, so it, mm-hmm. it hasn't quite yet. And I can never really put my my fingers on quite what the right words to describe what what it was that was going on. You know, um, but I think there was something in, in what Javi said about Jaquil getting the start that that sort of you know highlights what it was that I was trying to hit on, and that was. Mm. You know, it wasn't that they were giving Jaquil the start because he had to come off early. It wasn't that because now that the team is eliminated, it's the right time to give guys minutes. It was because he has earned it and because he is one of the best 11 players that they have. And wow. so I think that that, that 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 sort of mentality is a lot of what's made this team what it has been. That sort of you don't just do things for doing things sake. You do things mm-hmm. because it's for the best of the team. And if we look at... If we look at any of the young players that have gotten a chance this season, whether it's Ralph Preso or Jacob Schaffelberg or Noble Keller or Luke Singh, it's almost been an injury or an emergency that's gotten them that chance. And some of them have seized it and made the most of it, and some of them have not. And so what what I sort of think is that, you know, ideally you would like to find windows for these guys to get their chances. And, and this was something that even Greg Vanny talked about back in the day was that it's really hard to find those right windows where you can set guys up to be successful. And yep. we've seen a lot of that this year too, where guys sort of get thrown to the wolves in a team that can't protect them. So ideally you'd like to find, you'd like to find those moments, but when the team is in a situation where every game is must win, you know, those, those moments are going to be pretty small and pretty, yeah. you know, few and far between. I don't think that changes going forward in terms of they now have five games or whatever it is to prepare for Pacific. You know, you have Pozuelo coming back off of an injury. You have Josie Altador trying to find some form of shape. And you have the <laughs> the need to and and the back line and the back line that needs to get itself together and figure out, you know, is Chris Movinga going to be involved? Is Omar there? Yeah. Is Kamara there? Who's playing where? So they have a lot of questions to sort out over this next little while. What I will say though is that, you know, if you're trying to get Michael Bradley ready for a game on November 3rd, you know, maybe that October, that little stretch in October where you're at Atlanta three days earlier, maybe that maybe doesn't have to play that day. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe if Pozuelo is feeling something, you know, you give him 60 minutes, you give him a half and you get a half hour for guys or something like that. So I think, 
I think we will see Windows, but I wouldn't expect it to be a wholesale change with the with the factoring in that now that the priority is the Canadian Championship, other possibilities open up, if you know what I mean. You know? Yeah, away yeah. at Atlanta, get Mitch Tainter back in there, get the kids <laughs> in there. <laughs> Let, let's run it back here. Let's. <laughs> I thought you were going to say get Mitch Tierney in there, and I was oh, like, did no. you just plug <laughs> yourself to go play for TFC? That one yeah, one no, game I'm, back in yeah. footy as a center back, and you're like ready to suit up for the <laughs> for the first team. <laughs> Uh, uh, do you want to do you want to switch our order and, and talk about TFC two before we go to Can Men's National Team? So it's not whatever, this wave whatever of, you guys yeah, want. sure, um, yeah, um, yeah. I guess obviously there there is one Toronto FC affiliated team who still is in the playoff hunt because the USL League One is ridiculous. And I looked at the standings today <laughs> and like uh, I was gonna do some sort of math, and then very quickly I was like, no, no, this is just, no, <laughs> this no. is just too crazy because. Just about every team, only two teams have clinched. What there's a couple of games left in the season, only two teams have clinched, and I think only one or two teams can't make the playoffs right now. So the permutations are just ridiculous in terms of, of how it uh, how it all plays out. But TFC two, they're on a winning streak. They've won, I think it's three on the trot now. Um, James, I guess a little bit. What's the lay of the land, and maybe some some key contributors who have helped Toronto FC get. Uh, Toronto two rather get into this position where you know they're at least in the hunt for the playoffs as as the season where how many how many games left you you danced over that that one sentence how many games uh, are left in the season two I think first thing, yeah two the games first ever the first ever three game winning streak in TFC two history let's celebrate over, over some of the uh, some of the darker seasons that this group has had and uh, you know there were a handful of back to back wins but never three in a row um, nice. So, heading into Friday night's match against Fort Lauderdale of uh, Beckham and Neville Progeny Fort Lauderdale, um, mm-hmm. TFC2 has two games remaining, and they are one point out of a playoff spot. Let me just see if I can dig up my my synopsis here. Um, yeah, do you have a Do you have a chart with all these? <laughs> I do not. Does it look like team. Charlie Day's wall in It's Always Sunny yeah. in Philadelphia? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was it was one of the craziest seasons I've ever sort of kept my eyes on. About a month and a half ago, it wasn't just it wasn't two teams had clinched and two were eliminated. It was from third to tenth were separated by three points or four points or something ridiculous wow. like that. And, That's insane. And so heading into these final two weekends, TFC find themselves one point out. Um. But there are four, so basically there are four teams competing for two spots. New England is on 37 points, I think it is. Tucson is on 36. And then TFC and somebody else that I'm blanking on right now are Tacoma? 30 or whatever it is. No, I, don't, I think Tacoma is in proper USL, not USL League. All right, Forward uh, Madison. Anyway. I'm just going to throw out team names until, <laughs> until I hit the Madison, right one. DJ Club. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's four four teams separated by two points, battling for two spots, heading into the last two games Damn. of the season. It's sort of the situation. And TFC play Fort Lauderdale at, at the BMO training ground on Friday, and they play the New England Revolution second team again at the training ground the following Friday. And and I just found out that um that the stadium is open up for fans who would like to nice. go to the match. You know, nice. proof of vaccination will be required and everything like that. But that's that's becoming a thing. They want to get some. Uh, some supporters up there to cheer the boys on and 
it's been a it's been a dramatic season and it's going to be a dramatic finish however it sort of ends up playing out in, in terms of the key contributors i i have to sort of start with dante campbell who who was very much on the outsides of this group through the first couple months of the season he was he was a bit of an invisible character he wasn't getting regular minutes and and as things have turned around for them upon coming home, he's been a real midfield general for the group. He's been the real driving force in the middle of the park. Um, you know, he's. I, I always sort of struggle how to how to describe somebody who who doesn't do really tangible things. You know, he's not he's not playing that final ball. He's not scoring the goals. He's making the tackles and he's making the game ugly for the other team. And he's making nice. not the not the pass that leads to the goal and not the pass that leads to the pass that leads to the goal, but the pass that leads to the pass that leads to the like he's, he's deep down in the pass chain, but he's doing so many good things. And, and just sort of being that emotional heartbeat for a team that really needed somebody to stabilize and somebody to, nice. to urge them forward. And, and I had the, the chance to speak to him a couple of weeks ago. And, and granted, I hadn't talked to him since he was like a 16-year-old, but the the amount of maturity that I sort of saw in this young man, I think he's I think he's only twenty or something like that, and the way that he has really absorbed that sort of team ethos at TFC that we were talking about earlier sort of struck me for a guy who who you know was a was a young up and comer uh, you know sort of sort of uh, full of full of promise but also full of that sort of youthful. No, what's the word that I'm looking for? That sort of youthful. I, I don't know. I think when young naivete, players have time, there's a naivety, but there's also like a, a cocksureness. You know what I mean? Right, like a right. confidence, yeah. confidence yeah. that comes with it, and and that will eventually get bashed down. You know, it, it's not going to happen right away, but at some point you're going to hit a wall that will only get you so far. And so, right. finding what you have behind that is really important for these young pros. And I think I think mm. I can say he's a guy who's found that that extra level of depth that'll drive him forward uh, wherever his career may take him. And then, so I start with him and then I look at the fullbacks, you know, Luca Petrasso and Kobe Franklin have been, you know, it's not maybe, maybe nowadays it's not, it's not too weird to say that fullbacks have really been the driving force of a team's attack, but these two have been lights out for the last couple yeah. of things. Franklin has four assists in the last three games. Uh, Petrasso has a goal and an assist in the last three games. And if you go back to a match against Richmond in August, he, he had a, a wonderful little backheel to, to Carlini that led to a game winner on a, on a day nice. that they really needed it. Uh, they're full of running. They're they're competent and combative defensively, which you always want from players that are nominally defenders, uh, but they're willing and eager to get forward. You know, Franklin Franklin has just been devastating from out wide. His his cross his two balls for Paul Rothrock on the weekend were just inch perfect balls and, and you always need the guy to get on the end and, and place them perfectly but sometimes the cross is as good as the goal and both of those sort of fall into that category and you know Petrasso is uh he, he reminds me a fair bit of his brother with a bit of a bigger frame and he's got that silkiness and he's got that drive forward and he's got that that sort of professionalism about him that's always required at these levels and you know if we had spoken earlier in the year I think you know McLaughlin, the striker Garrett, would yeah, have been Garrett, one of the guys yeah. that we were talking about, but he's sort of gone off the boil a little bit, which is yeah, he's you know understandable bit, yeah. in a, in a second season as a professional. But you know, Paul Rothrock, a, a draft pick, has really stepped into that role, and he's not the biggest guy in in terms of a striker. I think uh, I was speaking with the coach, and the coach said he's only about five eight or something like that. But 
he plays so much bigger than he is. He just harries defenders and he covers mm-hmm. every inch of grass and challenges for every ball. And, you know, he's got three goals, I think it is, in the last three games. And so he's a guy that's that's really been behind this. And then Kevin Pollitz, who's a, a Red Bulls Academy guy who joined after bouncing around. I think he was at Hartford last year. And, um, you know, he strikes me as perhaps the most MLS ready of, of the center back crew down oh, wow. there. And he's a real, uh, he's a quiet leader. He puts out fires. He's one of those guys who leads from the back and, and can be a real sort of, um, a, a real sort of foundational stone for this group. He's just, he's just calm and does what has to be done and steps up big. He scored the header for a game winner the other day as well against new England. Um, I'm loath to leave out the rest of the guys. Everyone's put in a shift and, you know, guys blow hot ball throughout the season. But I think, uh, you know, I should mention I'm pretty big on Carlene and I'm pretty big on Temi, although I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his last name. I still have (laughs) not. But that's probably, that's probably a good enough little, little. That's uh, a good primer. That's a good bluffers guy. Absolutely. Uh, you want to do it? You want to do the question that you already told me you're going to rip me apart on, or or do you want to just I'm not move on to? I'm going to rip you apart on. I, I just, I just to... <laughs> I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it as written to give you maximum uh, points. Uh, why is there such a disconnect between the way TFC two plays and the first team? This can't be best practices? Question mark. What's wrong? Question mark. Yeah. Well, my, Jeff. My first let me... <laughs> as I as I foreshadowed was, uh, mm. what do you mean by disconnect? You know, like what, what, uh, what do you mean when you say disconnect? Oh, what? Oh no. I'm out. I'm getting asked the question. Oh, great. I knew I shouldn't have done this. Um, just, you know, I think it may be beyond that we're playing at a different level. It may be attributable to, you know, the teams being in different countries and the fact that TFC two didn't even play a season last year, but you know, on paper, your first and your second team should should sort of share some some points in terms of identity, and maybe the fact that the first team has none right now is is the real answer here. But but yeah. it just seems a lot more smash and grab, um, and and uh, I don't know. I find two, it disconnect. Please tell me why I'm wrong. Pardon? Two seems more two seems more smash and grab than the first team. Is that what you mean? Q seems more smash and grab than the first team, yeah, from what I've seen. Yeah. Um, I did tell you I was going to have a, a legitimate answer after putting you on your toes a little bit. So nice, I'll, I'll nice. give you that first, and then we'll get into and then we'll get into that. I think, I think, it's almost impossible to replicate the second team, the first team on the second team, because of the individual talents of some of the guys on the first team. You know what I mean? You're okay. never going to have a pop way low on your in your TFC two team. You know, you're never right. gonna have a guy though. And players that are singular like that have a way of shaping the game around them. And the game will never look the same if you just have, you mm. know, to use a baseball stat like games above replacement style midfielder in that position. The game just looks so much different. It's not a mm. it's not a plug and play sort of situation. So uh, for me I understand what you mean about the smash and grab sort of element, but structurally for me, I see a lot of the same similarities in the two groups, you know, like okay. they generally play with a back four, you know, the wing backs are very much involved in the attack. They, they have central holders, they have width in midfield and in attack, largely possession based, you know, passing game, have intricate passages, sometimes a little too intricate and end up losing the ball. You get runners from midfield, you know, mobile strikers who can interplay like, that's very much, those are the, the high level 
attributes that that, that team are shared. Team okay. Yeah. And as much as you want those two teams, you sort of alluded to this. As much as you'd love those two teams to be exactly the same, you're playing in different leagues against different opponents. Mm. You know. Yeah. And that's always going to have an element of of that's going to always impact how things look. It's never going to be that perfect match. And so I, I would tend to look for the similarities in that ethos rather than specific X's and O's. And then Love it. on top of that, on top of that, you're also going to have, this is one of those big conversations that always happens in sport is do you go to an opponent and impose yourself on that game? Or do you go to an opponent and adapt to take advantage of their weaknesses, you know, and, hmm. and when you're playing against different opposition, there's always going to be a little bit of tweaking that happens. So when you're on the road in Chattanooga and you spent eight hours on the bus and you just kind of want to get out of there, you know, there's a little bit more, I think you're allowed to be a little bit more smash and grabby than if you're sure. TFC proclaiming to be one of the best teams in the league and you're going into Cincinnati and you should impose yourself on that game. Absolutely. You know? That's such a fair point. You're re- that that yeah. really is. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I mean, you answered that question. Fabulous. <laughs> Let's get on to the happy stuff. Let's yeah, do Cam I mean, Men's national team. Well, perfect timing. Kyle Laren just scored for Besiktas against uh Nice. Nice. Sporting Thanks, Lisbon, Yvonne. So. He's won yeah. back in, in form and also looks to be back in healthy. But uh, obviously, he wasn't there um, on a pretty historic night for the Canadian men's national team at BMO Field as they defeated Panama 4-1. to one. Um, You know, arguably kind of an all-time game for Canada in terms of just the way it played out, the atmosphere, everything about it. You know, how big of a win was that for, for the program and also just in terms of World Cup qualifying, considering, you know, where Panama is and how much of a threat they've suddenly become in terms of the, you know, those mm-hmm. final spots. Yeah, I keep getting notifications on my phone. That's why I keep moving my hand. Like yeah, hey, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, when I was thinking about this, the words that came to mind were, were that it was a validation for all of the effort and for the risks in the approach that they took to this. And yep. that there was a little bit of the well-deserved praise and attention going forward that the, that the team sort of needs to continue yep. building what they're doing. By, by validation, what I mean is that if you're Canada and you're going into the final phase of World Cup qualifying for the first time in 20 years or whatever, it, it takes a takes a little bit of attitude to to not be dreaming and say you're going to make it to that world cup it takes it takes a little bit of fortitude it takes some self-belief but it also takes it's a bit of a risk to go out there and and approach the games the way that they have and so Mm -hmm. to emerge from these first two windows with with the points that they have i i think i think it'll it'll give them the belief that that those risks that they took paid off and that they have a bit of a path forward and and they know themselves a little bit more going into this next round. I, I would caution that we're still, we're still pretty early in this whole thing. It's six matches. Not not even halfway. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Six of 14 too many, you know, if, if I'm looking at this really critically, too many of those games have been draws for me to be like, you know, bouncing, bouncing around on the results right now. The Honduras one, you know, maybe you can say Haunts our nightmares, yeah. Yeah, the the results in Mexico erases that, the result in the US erases that. That's all well and good, but you still have a lot of tough teams coming here. You still have a lot of difficult away trips to make. And you still have a lot of teams that that 
have not shown their best and that as things get desperate, we're going to see some very different things from very different sides. And so it's way too early to be, uh, to be celebrating anything, but I think there will have been some validation given to Canada for their, for their willingness to go out there and approach this as equals rather than just being happy to be there. Um, Mm -hmm. And then for too long, you know, Canadian soccer and specifically men's Canadian soccer has been very much in the background and very much undercovered in this country here. And so you know, the morning after to see to see every single media outlet and, and national news outlets sort of hopping on the bandwagon was was incredible. Pretty terrific. You know, I think we've, yeah. we've all sort of been here. We've been, you know, toiling in the soccer mines for the last decade or whatever it is. And so to finally see a little bit of that sunshine come in is, is wonderful for everybody involved. And, you know, that that brings extra pressure, though. You know, that's that's more eyes that are going to be on them. That's more, that's more conversations that are going to be had. It's more speculation. It's more media requests. It's all of that. And still, I think you have to welcome it. That's, that's what you have to do if you want to be a team. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you just went mute, James. (laughs) I just, you just, you just muted out a little bit. I don't know what happened. Try us again. Oh, Oh. he's going to log back in. (laughs) <laughs> maybe okay i'm gonna boot him and then when he logs back in i'll add him um yeah i mean oh no no device is not connected i'm gonna pretend that's not distracting me uh uh what was i gonna say i what james was saying is very interesting to me because now the pressure's on do you agree mm-hmm. mitch like we got what we wanted everything's gone viral kj's uh uh, uh video of the of the shenanigans of the concacafery you know got something like a hundred thousand views in five minutes that Fonzie goal was everywhere. Uh, it's wonderful, but you know, now they got to measure up to that expectation. Yeah, you can you can look at it that way. Now the pressure's on, but also now they have so much momentum behind them. Where yeah, and know, confidence. Yeah, where they won't like. There's not a single team in the region now where they'll look at them and say we can't beat you because they've come either come very close or beaten basically every team now. Um, so. I do think it goes both ways. I tend to, uh, again, you know, there's always a bit of skepticism and, and worry when we're talking about the Canadian men's national team. It's, it's It might never leave just based on how many yep, horrible yep. matches and how PTSD, many. PTSD, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But with that being said, like that, that game in particular washed a lot of that away for me, just in the, the fact that it was like the, like even if there's more pressure on them now, mm-hmm. that game in particular, there was so much pressure. They it sure. was as must win of a game as Here you know, this group there's under John Herman has ever played. So, with that being said, like the fact that they did so well again, conceding early, um, coming back. James, yeah, James mentioned that like how how different the Canada this Canada team looks when they concede early and how they just you know they just doubled down essentially after that and made sure that mm-hmm. you know. Even though they conceded, they weren't going to be the next to concede, and they were going to tie the game. Like all of that factors in to make me pretty confident in what this team's doing. And yes, they still need to go to San Pedro Sula. They still need to play Mexico at home. They still need to play Costa Rica at home. There's a ton going on, but you know, I find it hard to, you know, be too too concerned about the pressure this team might come under. 
I mean, I'm concerned about how many more exponentially Facebook posts there's going to be about the games not being on Sportsnet now that <laughs> wants to watch them. But, but you know, this is this is what this is what we we asked for. Um, but I do think it's a double-edged sword. I think I think you know, with this added attention, um, and it's coming from places that you know we we're, we're it's insane that we're getting this attention, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be more expectation and and. What what I take what I take what I get confident from is that we've seen we've seen this this sort of ramp up right every time we've met that that expect you know will Fonzie be a diva or is he going to be okay with getting you know triple marked well the answer is yes uh, you know every we've been pleasantly surprised at every stop on the way so so history would suggest that we're going to be pleasantly surprised by how this team deals with the with being under the microscope in a much more profound way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry about that, guys. I thought I fixed my no Wi-Fi worries. issues after last time, and this time it was a phone call that sort of threw nah, me No worries. Like uh, <laughs> the final thing that I would add, though, is is something that you sort of touched on right there, which is that, you know, that win against Panama provided a platform. That's that's the mm-hmm. foundation for to do whatever it is that they're going to they're gonna do. They're going to go on to do. It's a platform to qualify. It's a platform to further garner more attention, but it's it's just got to be the start, though. This isn't a finish line. That win has got to be the start of the next thing. You know, that's yeah. that's how they've approached this World Cup qualifying cycle. That's how Herdman has approached everything since he's been involved. And so, you know, it, it was a, a lovely win, and it was a nice day out at the park. And, you know, let's hope that there's many more of those going forward. Yeah, well, yeah. another interesting point I wanted to make on this, and if you haven't yet, you should definitely go read... Uh, John Molinaro sit down with former Canada captain Julian de Guzman, uh, where he talked all about the national team. And he made a couple of interesting points. But one of the ones I thought was so interesting is that this pressure is actually super important for the national team because for so long, you know, Hmm. he'd come into the national team. And even if he cared as much as he did, like he'd look at it like a vacation, you know, I'm coming in, we're going to play Aruba and some far off thing. Like, whatever happens on the field, there's no pressure. No one cares what happens. And like, now it's like a club team. Like these guys know they're coming in. These are important games. And like, and you know, there is that pressure there that's going to make them play better. And we've seen a lot of guys elevate their performance significantly. We talked about Osorio and Richie Larea, and they're certainly not alone in terms of guys who've elevated their performance. So I thought that was so interesting that that pressure is actually probably helped Canada a little bit in the sense that now these guys are caring a lot, lot more about, um, th- these games and and just what it takes to pull on a national team shirt. Did you? Uh, you? I'm sure you both all caught that uh, that extended Herdman interview where he talked about how important the New Zealand uh, uh, sports systems are, and uh, you know gave up, uh, gave, you know gave, spit some hot truth about uh, what was it the Suriname game where there was like some dust ups in training, and he was like, "This can't happen. We can't. Mm-hmm. We got to be a unified force." Um, you know, hurt. It's very impressive what Herdsman's done. It's 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 incredibly. It's just this collusion of all these great factors, you know, and and uh, and and everything goes. Everything, all signs point to up and onward and upward. Um, the Davies goal. Uh, does it deserve all the hyperbole that it's getting? Um, I don't know. Deserve is is such a loaded term, you know, like. Does sure, anything sure. deserve anything? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> wow, it, we just went deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
and like and so much has been said about it already that like i'm i'm i guess what i missed what yeah. i do it is like we all knew how fast he was you know i i kind of felt bad for the defender um because you knew the second that davies sort of you know honed in on that ball being in play it, it was done for that defender it was he wasn't getting done ball, no matter yeah. what he did that said, you can't switch off and be casual the way that he was. So so that's the first part of it for me. The second part is that, you know, what I took away from it was was something that you alluded to there, was that it would be really easy for a guy like Davies to come into the national team and, and think that he's already made it. You know, he's in yep. the FIFA best 11. He's a Champions League winner. Uh, but when he saw a chance to make that extra sprint and to put in that extra little effort and maybe get rewarded for that, he did it. You know what I mean? Yep. Like it would be so easy for a player like him to just say, "Nah, nah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna let that ball go out." But, but he he had the desire, and maybe that's emblematic of the whole team, and emblematic of the whole group, and emblematic of what Herman has tried to instill in the group is that absolutely is that when when there is an extra inch to go, these guys are going to go it, and that makes such a world of difference in in a mm-hmm. in a business where where inches matter you know and I'm, so i mean you know the, yeah no go, go ahead. ahead well tv's um, tv's so powerful right and that edit that profile shot where he just sort of swoops in takes the ball leaves the guy on skates and then just leaves the frame it's some of the it's one of the best editing like there's no there's no coverage that matches that one shot because you just see the absolute <laughs> despair on that guy. And then you cut to Fonzie and he's already like 18 yards. It was just a masterclass in, in whoever was calling, you know, camera one, camera two on the day in the truck yeah. needs a Juno or a, or a can screen award immediately. Well, uh, like yeah. further, further to that, I, I think that goalkeeper was beat as soon as the ball stayed in. Like yeah. that goal, that goal was scored on that touchline in a lot of ways because yeah. Yeah. Because the goalkeeper, I think, was stunned. I think he was thrown off that this that this attack was coming his way. And I think what's been lost, and you know, granted, I haven't haven't dove into the hype, perhaps the way that some people haven't seen every inch of coverage of it. But I don't think we've talked enough about what kind of a finish that was. I mean, it's yeah. not it's not easy to to cut in on a goalkeeper like that, and you know, your mind's racing, and the situation is what it is, and to just cut it back like that and just yep. completely wrong foot uh, an international class keeper and you know that that was the sort of finish that that we saw Sebastian Jovinko do at BMO Field a lot of times where the keeper is expecting you to go one way and you just slot it the other way and the keeper is you know baffled at how it got past and then you know it was it was I think the thing that I'll take away from it was it, it was almost the perfect expression of the confidence that this group has ridden to this point in the World Cup qualifiers. And so I, I think yep. that's that's where I'm going to put this goal as sort of a, a signifier of where this team thinks it is and, and maybe where it can be, you know? Yep. Yeah, that, that uh, roar at BMO Field when was ridiculous. he got to that ball <laughs> is something that I'll, I'll absolutely never forget. Like, it was unbelievable. I also won't forget the mood when we conceded early because like there was a malaise, but it didn't last. You know what I mean? Like everybody got it out of their system pretty quickly. And then it was like on to the next, there was this, like there was this mob confidence that, that it wasn't over yet. And that, and that they hadn't then, you know, we'll give you that one, but you ain't going out of here with a win or even a draw that I, that I was so fascinated with. I mean, I've been to both MLS cups and you know, I like 2017. I didn't think we had it. I, I thought we were in for another 2016. I went out, 
halftime and my buddy was like no no we got this one like we're playing them off the park but i I didn't feel it but that canada game i felt it i'm like this isn't over yet um before we get to our last it's a little bit um it's a little bit intangible which always makes it really hard but we we spend so much time these days talking about the data and talking about the x's and o's and the tactical part that i think we really overlook the emotional intelligence part of the game in a lot of ways and I agree. And the same things, the same things that that have held TFC back in a lot of ways are the same things that Canada has flipped around in the other way. And so, you know, I'm I'm not disparaging stats, I'm not disparaging tactics, but they're they're facets of the game. And that sure that extra little five or ten percent that a team who's feeling it can get from themselves is the difference between the New England Revolution and Toronto FC this season. One hundred percent. And a lot. One hundred percent. Uh, uh, you know, we'll probably save this for, for the next time we have you, but I do think that I do think what's coming in the mail is dealing with these super clubs that our, that our, our, our players are playing for now and keeping them happy. And that's a problem that we haven't had to deal with very often. Right. You know, Fonzie's missing games for Bayern, right? Like eventually there's going to be a dust up between their front office and, and ours because, you know, CONCACAF is this intangible thing and it's got this horrible reputation internationally. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's, he's one of their money makers. And, and I do think that eventually, if not in the next little while, we're going to be faced with, with the dark side of our guys playing for such big clubs, which, which is, you know, the necessity of keeping, of keeping those people happy. Um, which segues into what I think maybe should be our last question because we've been doing this for a while. But you know, everyone is talking about uh, big moves overseas for for some guys on the on the Canadian men's national team. Uh, let's play who goes where and and who goes next, right? <laughs> um, I I do think Richie's regressed a little bit, uh, uh, so maybe his European adventure is, has been delayed for a year. Um, we all know Tejon is 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 on the is on the next train to Europe. Uh, Who's next? A train. Okay. Well, um, system of catapults <laughs> and nets. <laughs> I have no idea if I'm being honest. Like I, okay. I, I'm not a big transfer speculation guy. Like in the sense of, um, we can talk about the possibilities, but so much of it is is speculation and and wasted energy in a lot of ways that sure, I, I sort sure. of sort of check out of it a, f- a fair bit like Richie and this is where my sort of general wishy-washiness gets a hold of me is yeah you can say Richie hasn't been lights out the way that he was last year but maybe that's as much because he needs the next challenge as it is that he's you know bottomed out or something like that sure. you know sometimes sometimes guys get bored and you know we saw Kyle Laren he wasn't exactly tearing it up with Orlando and mm-hmm. and he needed to go abroad to find that next sort of the next sort of gear to, to boot himself into. So I, I think Richie has to be on that list. But for me, again, part of the reason why I stay away from this is, is so much of it depends on player availability and club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, so it's never, it's never a straight line sort of thing. But if you're asking me who I think is the most likely in, and I think where this all is coming from is, is we were all on that Herdman call the other day. And John was asked about, uh, but if he was concerned at all that the next international window was when MLS was out of season and he sort of yeah. dropped that, oh, he he's like, a MLS, guys. what? Nah, don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, John, what do you, what do you know? Like, you know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I looked through and like Richie is obviously one of the candidates. Does Max Prepo go over to Europe? Is he earned himself that chance? Uh, you know, Kamal yeah. Miller, 
the Johnson. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. both of them could find a level over there. They're both still so young that it's hard yeah. to be like, yeah, they're really ready for it. Um, Osario? Does Osario want to test himself somewhere else? Liam Frazier seems like uh, he's got some possibilities for him. Sammy yeah. Piet, there's a, those sort of those sort of rumors, and this is just me listing MLS guys that were on the last roster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sammy's um, not a pencil-in starter for for Wilfred Nancy's uh, yeah. uh, CF Montreal anymore, right? And that, and then you, you know, know, Io wasn't in this squad, but he's also a guy that's been linked over to Europe a lot. And then, but true, true if, enough. If I had to pick one guy who made the most sense for me, it's Mark Anthony K. Yeah, and there was something that was there was something odd to me about that move to Colorado. You know, and like it, I it agree. made a certain amount of of LA maybe didn't need another midfielder or whatever, but you know there was also that sort of maybe maybe the word was out that that Mark was looking to go to Europe and he wasn't interested in re-upping his MLS contract, and so it was best to get something from him while you still could. Yep. And you know maybe 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 Arsenal like, will trade him to Colorado. It's a quick step <laughs> over to. To a little club in North London that I that I have a certain yeah, what affinity do you, do you for. Get so. gam? Is that a gam move or a <laughs> No, no, it's a damn move because I like Arsenal. <laughs> but uh, no, that's a great shout. Max, a great mm-hmm. shout, actually, yeah. a really, yeah. really great shout. Because think, you know there are there the are most... yeah yeah, Sorry. and and of course adding to like adding to this as well as the fact that we expect Canada to be in the top fifty. Um, the next FIFA rankings, which of course has significant um, implications, Visa ramifications. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah. Both uh, both UK players actually coming in for future national team camps in terms of where they'll be allowed to travel to, um, mm-hmm. as well as the fact that you know they are. It's now much easier for them to get work visas over there. So th- there's a chance we might see so arbitrary. Know, like why why does that exist? That makes no sense. Like if you if <laughs> you're ranked at this level yeah. in you know. It's yeah. just it makes no it's, it's just such a weird stat yeah and we also know on the on the John Herdman thing I mean we, we always believe uh, national team managers when they're talking about transfer speculations at camp, <laughs> you know, with, uh, with Greg Berhalter earlier this year I mean, yeah, it's, yeah 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 it, it, it's yeah, only yeah. natural you know <laughs> and that's, that's part of why I try not to get involved in this transfer thing because we, we can get pulled in all sort of directions and manipulated so just tell me when something's signed and I'll deal with it then you know. Nice, yeah. nice. So you are not doing a podcast with Fabrizio Romano, then, is what we're saying here. It's no, not, it's if not, he wants yeah. to, I guess I could join him. I, mean, I don't think I'd have too much to ask. Exactly. What do you think about this one, James? Eh, I don't do that sort of thing. Man, we got to rethink this this podcast situation because uh, you're. <laughs> anyway, yeah. that's that's it. I'm I'm out of I'm out of questions. I, I I think you you won the game. You're at about seven million points. Wow. So uh, yeah, yeah. Good I don't know if we've been. Yeah, I don't know if we've been scoring uh, other interviews, but that's probably that's probably a record. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you've been more than generous <laughs> with your time, James. Uh, Thank well, you so I much. I'll, I guess I'll, yeah, I'll just wrap it up here. Uh, yeah, thanks, yeah. Thanks so much to everyone for for listening and and watching. Um, you know your feedback and interaction. It's always so so appreciated, um, especially when we can't watch the the Champions League games and, and need the updates during <laughs> them. But uh, also, you know, as always, it's been. Yeah, it's been just great to have James on and get to pick the brain of one of our favorite soccer people. So uh, make sure you go check out his work at torontofc.ca and make sure to go check out our MLS Prediction League over at the Parlay. Are we doing well? No. Are we having fun doing it? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's good at least. Uh, but on behalf of Jeffrey Pinesker and I guess James Grossi as well, uh, I'm Mitchell Tierney. Until next Tuesday. Uh-huh.